The day after our aborted lunch, the bird takes his very first bath. Late spring is giving way to a hot early summer, and bright afternoon sunlight irradiates the magpie's feathers as he hops up onto the rim of a shallow dish. The thin, black talons at the end of his articulated toes wrap against the porcelain. He peers curiously into the pool and rustles his nascent tail in what seems to be an expression of excitement or anticipation. He circles the water, leaping on twig-like legs to examine it from every possible angle. It's a while before he dips his beak into the wet, first cautiously and then with great vigour. Water slops over the side of the bowl and his beak chinks against it like a spoon rattling in a teacup. It takes a little longer still for him to work up the courage to leap in. I suppose birds who can't swim have to be very certain about what they're letting themselves in for. When he finally takes the plunge, he stands for a moment up to his ankles, his feet magnified and distorted. He hops from leg to leg, then lowers his body into the water and shakes and shakes and shakes. Droplets of water fly up into the air and cascade all over the floor. He leaps in and out of the water repeatedly, gleeful as a child dive-bombing, and then it's out and onto Yana's wrist, where he shakes again, hitting us both with a musty spray. Yana looks down at the creature. It's a pitiful sight to behold. The bird is as bedraggled and hideous as a wet cat, and tiny, so very tiny, with all his feathers dampened down. His eyes and his beak are the only part of him that haven't shrunk in the wash, and they now seem freakishly outsized, like a plague doctor's mask. The bird wipes his damp cheeks on Yana's sleeve and wrings water out of his tail. Yana picks up the hairdryer, places the soggy bird on her head, and begins to fan him with a gentle blast of hot air. This doesn't seem like a creature that's going back to nature any time soon. As the bird dries, his former glory returns. His wing feathers spark electric blue, and his newly emerged tail shimmers with iridescence, changing colour from gold to purple as the sun's rays bounce off it at different angles. He shines, Yana points out, like the puddles of petrochemicals in the scrapyard where he was found. Maybe, she says, we should name him after that. What about calling him Benzene? I've been casting around for a name for the bird for a while, but nothing seems to fit. Hethcote's jackdaw was called, quite simply, Jackdaw, a name it seems to have arrived with. Magpie doesn't quite have the same ring to it. In Shakespeare, magpies appear as maggot pies, but maggot pie is even worse. I've been trying out the names of famous thieves for size, in honour of the magpie's best-known trait. Jean Genet, Robin, Raffles, Mr Big. I'm not sure what the convention is for naming corvids, or even if there is one. So rarely do they seem to fall into human hands. The tame ravens at the Tower of London, kept there to entertain the flocks of tourists who visit, often seem to be christened rather grandly. Thor, Hugin, Moonin, Korax, Charles. These don't seem quite right for the magpie who, for all his regal attributes, isn't as pompous an animal as all that. Naming, of course, 
runs against letting go. Naming is a form of claiming. But the name benzene, with its spirit-like connotations, seems to have the idea of escape built in. Benzene, both natural and man-made. Shining, shimmering spirit that evaporates into the air. The bird has found his name.